Hello, listeners. This is Joan coming to you with a bit of news and a request. Guthrie is moving on from the Sprocket podcast. We will talk more about that on a future episode. In the meantime, we are looking for one or two folks to join us, especially to do behind-the-scenes work like editing episodes. You'd be working primarily with Armando and me, as well as Aaron Flores sometimes. If you've not done much audio editing but think you might like to learn, or if you have some experience doing it and you're interested, please email us at thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com for more information. This isn't a paid gig. We do it for the love of bikes and community. Okay, thanks. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Joan Pettit. And I'm Armando Luna. We're broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. And I'm Guthrie Straw. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. We cover bicycling, trains, and transit, infrastructure, adventures, and today (laughs) we're talking about... Topics. <laughs> We're talking about, uh, we have a potpourri of topics <laughs> to chat about tonight. And what we're going to start with, it's it's too bad that we're in an audio format because Guthrie is wearing some pretty spectacular glasses right now. Could you describe them for our listeners, Guthrie? <laughs> Why, sure. These are my gamer glasses. I think I got Jean-Luc some gamer glasses. Nice. Yeah, these are... Are they uh, like blue, blue light glasses? Is that what they are for well, screens? Well, they are, but these make you extra good at Hearthstone, which is <laughs> a game I played very little of. But these were a prize from PDX Land, which is one of the largest lands in the U.S., actually, happening right in our backyard. So in a former life, I would... Try to make back my admission fee at PDX Land with cool stuff like gamer glasses. I feel like they might be useful on your bike too. You know, it's like maybe they'd make you better at uh, riding your bike or unicycling. <laughs> they probably would do both. Yeah, I totally agree. I was just unicycling this afternoon. I'm learning to ride backwards, which has always been a challenge for me. Oh wow! I'd say riding a unicycle backwards has always been a challenge for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's uh, it's a work in progress, but uh, it's been pretty fun. There's been a nice progression of the skill, and uh, it's been worthy of the time put into it, as far as I can tell. Do you wear, like, extra padding or stuff when you're trying something? Uh, d- not typically. You Sorry, sh- I asked. <laughs> <laughs> I no, didn't mean good. to jinx you. <laughs> oh, you haven't. Um, I've definitely taken my fair share of falls on unicycles, I used to ride a 36-inch, which when you fall, you're falling from close to six feet. So, yeah, my thumb is a little messed up, but it's all part of the journey. And more recently, I don't wear pads because I'm riding a smaller unicycle. Uh, But my general advice is to get good at falling. If you're good at falling, you won't need pads. That's like good aging advice, too, I think. So Guthrie, how easy is it to get 36-inch tires and tubes? It's not that easy. Um, 
There used to be several brands of 36-inch unicycle available in the U.S., but more recently that I've checked, Coker, which used to make like retro, uh, like 1924 Ford, excuse Uh me, half a moment here. (laughs) Oh, is that you? Yep. I thought that was outside my house. Uh, It's all good. Give me just half a moment. You can you can riff riff on it. <laughs> is that a is that a fire alarm? In yeah, your house we got covered? it here. <laughs> um, I'm not too worried about it. Maggie is, I think, preparing <laughs> some dinner. <laughs> we had an agreement Dang, where just um, her out. <laughs> I was like, I'm just gonna ignore everything that's happening. We we were like agreed to this before the show. I don't know. I think I can break that. For this. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> now we're definitely going to run out of space on that card <laughs> yes yes so we're, while we're waiting for Guthrie I just wanted to mention to our listeners who are still listening <laughs> that we had a meeting in February and we were met at the food pot outside and it was really cold <laughs> and uh we had a meeting on you know we had a spark a podcast meeting about what to talk about you know what what was our plan what some topics we could talk about in future shows and what about guests guests that were coming on things like that so we had this meeting and uh we wrote down this list and guthrie took notes and he wrote notes hand wrote notes on a on a piece of notebook paper <laughs> that we all had a picture of and then we all had to transcribe that into text. <laughs> so we finally did that. And so we had, I don't know, like 37 topics of, of show topics that we can talk about. And so tonight's show is topics. And uh, I think we're going to actually talk about some of them, right? Well, no, no spoilers. No spoilers. So probably not all of them. We're not going to cover all 37 topics. Oh, my gosh. No, those are like, that's like two, three years of stuff there. Don't give them away. All right. One show. Here we go. Got to get through them. (laughs) That would be a rapid fire show. Rapid fire topics. Go. (laughs) Okay. Armando, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. Yeah. I'm enjoying the the spring weather that's hit Portland a a lot. Um, Been enjoying it. So been riding my bike every day. Um, oh, I did want to mention though, because I said one of my goals was to uh, ride the Swift Summit 200, and I've changed that goal, and I'm probably just going to do the 100 and not the 200. Uh, I, I think I would. I needed to have more time to for training, and I, I don't have that right now, um, especially with um, with my work. I'm the only one covering my job right now, um, but we'll get some more people on staff soon, and I'll be able to have more time to uh, more time to ride longer. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sensible. super sad about it, but I'm just changing my goals. I think that's really smart. Well, I just started this week. I'm uh, back to work three days a week, which it's funny. I've been talking to a few folks lately about how I'm tired of working from home, but don't really want to go back to work. But I am very excited to be bike commuting again, and I'm actually kind of looking forward to the additional structure in my life, which I uh, struggle to provide (laughs) to give myself at home. So um, it's nice to be back on my bike, going back and forth to work. I don't know. I think I'm looking forward to it. It's strange to think that I used to go to work five days a week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So that's, that's nice. And I mean, this is a great, 
yeah, we've had some really nice weather. It's a great time of year to be ramping back up my bike commuting. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought I was going to be back to work this much in January, but then with Omicron, I continued working mostly from home, usually only going in one day a week, if at all. So yeah, so that's good. I'm looking forward to it. And Last fall, I felt like drivers were really, it was really stressful, but I didn't feel that way today. I don't know if today was just a, a better day. We'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Guthrie, are you, are you working at home mostly now or are you working at work? It's a bit of both. Topic number one. <laughs> We've already done two. We've already done three. We've already had three topics. We talked about slow down. Slow we down. Talked, we talked about Guthrie's glasses. We talked about the Swiss summit. We talked about oh, no, from our from our meeting, our meeting topics. Oh yeah. <laughs> so one thing that we were talking about a little bit is community building through riding your bike and all the friendships we've made along the way. Or I mean. All the, all the ways that uh, when I, like, when I look around at the people I know and interact with outside of work, uh, so many people that I know and so many connections that I've made have either been because of or enhanced by riding my bike. Um, and so, yeah, that was just something that we were talking about, about how I think, and I think probably for some of our listeners, although maybe some of them have different approaches to riding, but I think for a lot of us. Um, I mean, obviously we're all hosts on the bike podcast, like obviously this is something we're into, but community, you know, can look pretty different. And so, yeah, so that was something we, we've been talking about a little and would like to hear from folks about their experiences with that. What do you all have to say about that? Well, it's interesting because I just um, made a new friend, a new bikey friend, and she moved from Seattle to Portland. And she talked about wanting to meet people to ride bikes with and more specifically uh, meeting women to ride bikes with. And she was she was not able to do that in Seattle. And she talked about that Seattle freeze um, that I have I've read about. But I, don't, I mean, I don't know about it because I've never lived in Seattle, um, but just about how it takes so long to meet and make friends in Seattle. Um, but she's here in Portland and uh, she's starting to meet people and ride with people and, uh, and she's doing it through bicycles, you know, through, through riding bikes. So I think when this came up as a topic, I immediately thought of her, but you know, I, I also think of myself. I like most of my life is bikey. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, bikes are a great way to not only um, make community, but, become parts of multiple communities, right? There's a lot of different communities, especially here in Portland, uh, in the bike world. So I think that's really well observed. I was just trying to think about how I was going to answer this question. At first, I felt myself feeling like my community had started large and maybe funneled a little bit. But then I actually had realized through your response that I think it's just always shifting and I'm kind of moving to some places and from other places. And I think that the bike tag community, not only in Portland, but just kind of of people who play around the world has been a direction I've been moving in a lot in the past year or so. That's been a really interesting experience and it's fun to see how stuff keeps evolving. Also with the film by bike stuff coming up, it's been a really neat opportunity to plug into the 20th year of the festival. And I'm really excited about that opportunity and that experience to share something with people that I have known in the bike community for 
close to a decade at this point. I've found a really robust sense of community here, and it's been just an excellent experience. I used to, when I lived in Western North Carolina and I was riding a road bike there, that was definitely something I started doing because some of my women friends had road bikes and uh, I had stopped kayaking because of a bike, a bike injury, <laughs> a back injury, not a bike injury. And it was definitely part of my relationships and friendships uh, there. But when I moved to Portland for the first few years that I was here commuting and I was also going on some longer road rides and I had one or two folks that I was going with, but my bike riding wasn't really social. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I didn't really know how to make it more social. And a handful of years ago, after some other changes in my life, I sort of decided that I was going to start trying to connect with the local bike community and start going on some of the social rides that I had been hearing about. And I knew Armando through Twitter a little bit and basically invited myself along on a biking to beers thing. And I remember being, um, I felt like I was putting myself out there a bit because I didn't know any of these people except from Twitter and everybody was really friendly and welcoming. And, and that has kind of evolved into, and then Armando, I think you invited me to go on the, or you were inviting lots of folks to go on the um, bike scavenger hunt after that. So, um, so that was Aaron and you and me, and then John Fritz. And then I kept doing some more rides like that. And I think the biggest thing that was hard for me was going to a social ride without somebody was very intimidating, right? Like I wanted to know somebody to go with. And then once I knew a couple folks who might be at the ride, it became a lot easier to decide to go on the ride. Cause I just felt, I don't know. I was either a little, not, not scared exactly, but I was just feeling, I was a little intimidated to go before I knew anybody. So sometimes connecting with like one or two people who go on a lot of those things and who are friendly, who you can say hi to can be a good way to, you know, sort of get past some of the awkwardness. Cause usually once I go on those rides, I may not even chat all that much with that person. I meet lots of new people and things like that. So, but before I was doing rides like that, I think that talk a lot to like my bike commuting coworkers. And so that was a good way to, to connect with those folks. Uh, so it was really kind of a big and present kind of topic of conversation, even before it sort of became more community building. I did try some more like intentional ways. I joined a couple local groups that were focused on women bicycling. That didn't sort of work as well for me as just sort of starting to go on some social in-town rides. Uh, so I joined a local team and did a few cyclocross races. And then I joined another organization that doesn't exist anymore. And there were great folks in there, I just wasn't doing those things or involved with them enough to really develop deep connections. But some of the social rides I think have really been um, where, where I've made some really kind of good loose connections with people. And that's led to a lot of other connections in my life. And yeah, even when I'm not riding as much, it still seems to be sort of the center of a lot of things that I do. What you said made me think about Diablo has a boombox on like a trailer and I went to a few of his rides very early on. I don't really see him except for every now and about. But the experience of those rides, listening to like Nirvana as you're with a bunch of people just cruising through Portland on 100 bicycles was just such a great experience. Yeah, it's interesting, Joan. You mentioned that um, riding before. Like I rode 
I mean, I rode my bike. I, I was a commuter. I've always been a commuter. I commuted in high school. Um, I commuted in college. I rode my bike in college for fun and like maybe a little bit longer rides, but I always rode alone. I never really rode with a group or I never joined a club or, you know, things like that until I got to Portland and then I joined every club. No. Um, when I got to Portland, I again started commuting and, and that's how it started. I was commuting to work. Well, back then it's, I found out about uh, critical mass. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that sounds super cool. And so I started doing the critical mass uh, rides and I think that was my first, that was probably my first uh, introduction to social rides. This is a little different than the social rides I do now. But then I realized there, there, there's more to riding than, you know, than racing or, you know, joining a, a bike club or like a roadie bike club, I guess. There's more to that. There's more, there's a more social angle to, to riding bikes. And Portland is a good city to be in to do that. If I recall, you had said that you moved here in part because of that. I came to Portland. I wasn't planning on staying in Portland when I arrived here. And then once I started riding my bike around and uh, saw the infrastructure, which my, my town had like zero versus what we had, in, what was in Portland at that, at that time. And, you know, there were actually, there was actually hope for cycling back then <laughs> in Portland. It was, uh, it was exciting, you know, it was like totally made me decide to stay here, you know, not, not to continue to, to move on, which is what's my plan. Um, but yeah, I totally fell in love with Portland and biking. And, uh, and it was, it was mostly because of, I mean, the infrastructure and, and the riding, those types of things, but also the, the Portland bike culture, there is definitely a culture here and it's not just like one culture, it's many cultures, but there's a culture of bikes and belonging and, and the people, especially in, especially in social riding, um, talk about that a lot. I think bikes and belonging, you know, you feel like you belong if you're on a bike. You mentioned back when there was hope. Portland has the the twenty thirty plan, and you know there was all this excitement about it, and and it sort of just fell off the charts. And I, I think during the early two thousand tens to two thousand now, it's it's starting to hopefully ramp back up again. But there's there was a lot of uh, interest in biking up until that point, and then it just sort of stalled. Probably around two thousand twelve. One thing, I don't know if we have talked about recently on the show, but I was riding on a couple days ago the new NATO Parkway extension from Hawthorne Bridge. And I remember that was just hay bales demarking, you know, one lane for cyclists. So I just had this kind of grin on my face. They're they're close <laughs> to having it finished. There's close to being the most part a buffered lane in a downtown populous area, which I think is pretty neat, but that was a lot of work to get to that point, too. <laughs> and a lot of people poured some real heart and soul into it. So I guess I was happy to see it. And also, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying about um, yeah. the enthusiasm around those periods. Yeah, the first time, last weekend was the first time I actually rode on that path underneath the Hawthorne. You know, before I was still going around, you know, it wasn't open. So I was just going around it back on the, the waterfront path. But it was actually, well, you could ride on it underneath the Hawthorne. Yep. They still had barrels and stuff. You just had to ride around the barrels, but yeah, that was really cool. It was like, wow, they actually did it. That's what I was thinking. They actually did it. <laughs> Do you, you feel like your community has shifted over time, Joan? Uh, you mentioned getting into it by knowing several people and then it branching a bit. Uh, where do you find your community at these days? What is plugging in for you? I think what I'm really trying to do is... <laughs> 
focus some efforts on spending time with women who ride bikes. <laughs> um, and I have um, some excellent men friends, including you both. Uh, and there are um, some really great women and non-binary folks who uh, ride bicycles, but I don't always see them as much, I guess, or I don't know. I mean, there's it's a, it's a male-dominated sport, so I feel like I have to be more intentional about spending time with other other women. So I'm trying to like put some effort and intent and thoughtfulness, you know, like there've been a couple bike rides or bike kinds of trips that I've wanted to do. And so I've kind of reached out to some women friends about things like that. So I'm trying to plan that stuff a little bit more proactively. And I also think the sort of like this phase of the pandemic, whatever it is, folks are feeling a little more comfortable doing things like making plans and making plans with people outside your immediate household, especially if it's going to be an outside thing. So it's, you know, for example, it's not crazy to talk to somebody about the idea of planning a camping trip this summer or whatever. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm focusing on friendships and riding my bike. And speaking of friends who ride bikes, this is a transition. A friend of mine mentioned to me today that she had her bike locked up for only about an hour outside her dentist's office in Portland, and her bike seat was stolen off of her bike. And this is the second bike seat I've heard of being stolen uh, in Oregon recently. So I just wanted to uh, mention this to folks to just give people a heads up. Um, but I did a little Googling about why, about, about stolen bike seats. And I found an article from the Kyoto news. And, um, I mean, this is terrible, but I don't know. It was kind of amusing too. Japanese police sees 5,800 bike seats, arrest man in theft case. Okay. So this is an article from Japan and it says Osaka prefectural police have seized about 5,800 bicycle seats from a rental storage facility and have arrested a truck driver on theft charges. They said Friday, the truck driver has admitted to the charges with the police quoting him as saying, I began to steal bike seats about 25 years ago in Tokyo and Osaka to relieve stress at work and gradually collecting them turned out to be fun. <laughs> I wonder, this guy. you know, the, there's a photo on the website and it, they're all, they're all laid out like really nicely um, in the photo. And I, I'm assuming the police did that, but I wonder if he actually, you know, he says collected them. And I wonder if he actually did treat them like a collection where he like, you know, had them grouped by maker and, and material and <laughs> new and old. It's, it's the picture is pretty awesome. We will link to that in the show notes. So you all can <laughs> check that out. Yeah. So Guthrie, what were you going to say? Oh, we, I think we were just going to talk about a quick and easy method and also a free most of the time to incredibly cheap method of securing your seat. So if you are somebody who doesn't want to have your bike seat added to a collection in Osaka, <laughs> you can take a bicycle chain and a chain breaker and you can kind of measure out the distance to wrap it around your frame in the back and your seat post. And then you can break and then remake the chain around those two objects, uh, encasing it with a 
tire that no longer is useful for other purposes to protect your frame. And yeah, it's something you can get at most bike shops, typically happy to give it away for free, or they might charge a small, say, five to eight dollar install fee if you would happen to like them to do it for you. So that's just something I picked up when we had a rental fleet at the bike shop I used to work at. And it's a pretty quick and easy way to just add a little bit of extra security to your bike as you are traveling throughout the world. I think I think that's a great idea. Uh, we will also link to an article I found uh, from Bloomberg City Lab. Bike mechanics reveal the best tricks to frustrate would-be saddle thieves. And it's just got a handful of different ideas. Some are more or less obvious. I know you can buy little seat leash things, um, which, you know, to wrap around, which are not foolproof, you could cut through them. But if if somebody is just, if it's like a crime of opportunity thing, that might be enough to just dissuade them. Uh, so, yeah, I like I like your your approach, but there are also some other ideas. So lock up your bike seats, especially if you have quick release. Yeah, my friend, she said she had to, uh, yeah, she was coming into work and then she had to take the bus, which was fine. I mean, fortunately, she was near the bus and then she had to put it on the front of the bus and come into work. But like, that's really frustrating. So, um, and not something we're often thinking about <laughs> that will be stolen from our from our bikes. Originally, when I heard about that, it reminded me of a dentist visit where I was getting my first filling and I was so, I guess, preoccupied when I pulled up on my bicycle, laid it against the rack and went inside. <laughs> and I came out after getting my filling and was like, what? <laughs> a, it was still there. And B, I noticed it didn't have a lock on it the whole time. I am sorry that that seat got stolen. I feel really unscathed by that, but I make extra sure whenever I visit the dentist to make sure that thing is locked however possible. I have done the same thing. I came out of the grocery store once and I think it was night and my bike was not locked and I had no other explanation for that except that I had forgotten to lock it. <laughs> there was, yeah. Unless somebody came along, unlocked my U-lock and put it in the basket, but that seems, and then didn't take my bike. Seems unlikely. I let an outdoor trip. The first bike I got, no, second bike I got stolen. I was going to the outdoor program and locked my bike. I did lock my bike outside and I came back after a week in central Oregon and my bike was gone, but they had left my lock and the key, which I had left in the lock. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> your lock was there with the key i'm sorry that's terrible but i bet they were also laughing i was I insulted they, they should have taken the lock like what you don't want my lock <laughs> i do you think that they did that to let you know like we did not use sophisticated tools <laughs> to well they didn't do, have to, to. <laughs> wow played myself I would, I would do that too i would do that too <laughs> they knew they didn't need that bike long. They didn't want a lock to worry about. <laughs> so, anywho, <laughs> what is our next item on the list? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, listener Josh Gutmacher sent this one in. He sends in a lot of stuff. Uh, 
And then we sometimes remember to post it on the show. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> but we do post Thank it you, eventually. Josh. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Josh. Um, he sent the website, name that part, name that part.com. Um, it's created by Lucas Mace. Choose the part from supplied, supplied options based on the photos you see. So there is the website has photos of bike parts and then you have 20 seconds to make your choice. It's like a multiple choice and they give you a multiple choice of, uh, what the object is. And you can, the points start at 500 and go down the longer you take to choose them. And this, so I've played this a few times and I think this game is really for mechanics because they're list, they have some parts on there. And it's like, okay, it's a bolt. And they're like, the, the answers are like SRAM retainer bolt, Shimano retainer bolt, generic retainer bolt, or something like totally different. It's like, unless you were a, a mechanic, I don't think you would know what that part was. Uh, but there's currently a total of 60 items in the catalog. And there are people that get 60 on taking the thing. And I've, I've never gotten even past the first one. The first one shows up, I guess, and wrong. And I'm, if you guess wrong, you're done. So oh. I know. I just guessed something. Got, and yeah, it says game done. over. <laughs> Wait. I'm, I'm checking this out. It's hilarious. <laughs> if anybody... Um, if anybody needs, <laughs> if anybody needs like a little bit of a confidence boost, uh, let and they want to play against me in this game, they will probably win. Game over. Wait, do you ever? Oh, I got past the first one. Ooh, this is. Yeah, this is oddly specific. Yeah, it's, it's really specific. Oh, I got I got through two. Let's have the podcast just be us all playing this game quietly. <laughs> well, actually, if you look at it, they're they're adding in the the vendor's name, but they're all different items. So, yeah. Oh, game over. But my score was seven hundred fifty. Oh, but not even good enough to get on the scoreboard. Wow, there's some lots of folks who who have better gotten a lot of points. Yeah. This is good. Give me like two weeks and we'll revisit this <laughs> this whole game question. Two weeks and the gauntlet is thrown. The oh, gauntlet yeah. thrown? Yeah. <laughs> All right. 60 items. I have those memorized in no time. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> My goodness. The Sprocket Podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Call or text 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. And Hurtbird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shout afoot, Wayne Norman, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Eric Wise, Cameron Lean, Doug Cohen Miller, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Anna, Richard G, Campsite, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and Founder of Thor Granary, Jeremy Kitchen, Mr. T, Harry Dugo, EJ Finner. Brad Hipwell, Keith Hutchinson, Ryan Tam, Jason Optenberg, Andre Johnson, Gregory Braithwaite, Chris Bear, Dennis O'Brien, Sean Bear, Luna, Emma Rooks, <laughs> Lillian Karabayak, Spartandale, Philip M, Bike Initiative, Keweenaw, Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond, Greg Murphy, myself, Myra Martinez, 
Oso, Byron Patterson, Magner Steven, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G, Rachel Moline, Jonathan Lee, Tommy Romani, Damiana Day, and Alan Kessler. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Andrew McGregor. And thanks as well to all our former supporters who helped us along the way. Now brush your teeth. And go to bed.